The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. When I describe the theme of this show, uh, I usually say it's about near-death experiences and similar mystical experiences. But if you ask me, I haven't been paying enough attention lately to those similar mystical experience categories, even though I often realized in my work as a hospital chaplain that almost everyone has had at least one event in their lives that can only uh, they can only explain in mystical terms. Well, one such category of non-NDE mystical experience is the shared death experience, where an acquaintance, usually a loved one, travels with the dying person for a ways into the other side. So I thought I would read such an account for you today. Uh, this story comes from uh, the August uh, 2017 monthly near-death experience emails provided as a service to members of IANS. This uh, selection was taken from accounts submitted to IANS and is provided here, of course, anonymously. This is a detailed account of a shared death experience where a daughter assists her father in making his transition. It also recounts her and her mother's multiple premonitions of his death, which is also an interesting thing, and her increasing ability to hear his thoughts. She knew her father wanted her to help him go, but she wasn't sure how to help him. Finally, she was able to go part way with him until he found his mother who was waiting for him. And after this experience, she has an interesting definition of hell. She also knows more about the power of love and that our actions and thoughts matter more than we know. And this is the account that she sent to Ions. My father had been ill off and on for the past 12 years. He had had several bouts with cancer aneurysms and heart problems he always came through each battle with the same strong positive attitude he went into it with my mother and i through all the times we waited for him to come out of surgery um, that was more likely to kill than to save him we never had the slightest doubt that he would be fine this past february he had gotten to the point where all the aneurysms were over he had a mechanical aortic valve and he had been free of cancer for over five years. He had started going out again and was in better spirits than we'd seen him in years. So when both my mother and I heard the same young male voice call, uh, we were in different places in the house and we heard it in different ways. We knew we were going to lose someone, but not dad. We, we tried to figure out who and could only come up with my sister who had just won about with breast cancer. But that didn't feel right. So we just waited to see who it was. About one week after our hearing this voice, my father started feeling bad. He lost a tremendous amount of weight in what seemed like days and had become very tired and agitated. We both pressed him to go to the doctor and be checked. He did, and his doctor had both brain and uh, full-body CAT scans done along with various other tests. And everything was okay, but Dad just didn't feel right. And this was in June. 
In August, while I was sitting in the car waiting for my mother, I felt an overwhelming feeling of loss. I asked out loud, who are we losing? But I had no feeling for a particular person. I just knew we were losing someone very close. When my father said to me at 1.30 a.m. Tuesday morning, he thought he had a bowel blockage and needed to go to the hospital. I knew immediately who we were losing. On the way to the hospital, he told me to take my time. I asked him if he was sure, and he said there was still some time. I knew that he knew he wouldn't come back this time. In the emergency room, I stayed with him while they ran tests. He did have scar tissue blocking his intestine. They would admit him and schedule surgery. The ER doctor took me aside and told me this would be very hard for Dad. And I was amazed because this was not the first time they'd had to remove scar tissue from him, and it had never been a major concern before. But none of this was like any other time I had taken him to the hospital. I was grateful for this doctor, who I had never talked to before, for letting me know that my feelings were right. I literally stood next to my father that morning for four hours while they finished the tests and he waited for a room. He held my hand the whole time and had gotten so weak that he could only talk in a whisper. When it was time for them to move him, I told him I would go and get my son so my mother could be with him. He held my hand tightly and didn't want me to go. He had surgery at 8 p.m. Tuesday evening. He came through it fine. His doctor put him in the cardiac care unit because of the valve in his heart, but this was normal. That evening, my mother and I talked, and we both knew Dad was going to die. It was strange to come out and, and say, to, say it to each other. Nothing the doctors said backed up the feelings. We just knew. The following evening, as my mother and I stood over him in the CCU, he had a stroke. The CAT scans showed three baseball-sized soft-tissue masses, one in the brain, one between the heart and lungs, and one in the abdomen. They also found several smaller masses up and down his spine. There was nothing that could be done, no cure that could handle all three masses. We had some serious decisions to make. We told Dad at the next visit, and he understood. By now, the bottom half of both lungs had collapsed. He was paralyzed on his right side, and he couldn't speak. He could communicate by pointing at letters, and by his facial expressions. I had to ask him in the presence of a doctor if he wanted to keep the respirator on, and if he understood that if it was turned off, he would, in fact, die. He had no trouble making it clear to them that he wanted the artificial life support off, and he fully understood what was happening. We then moved him to a private room where my sister's brother and I took shifts staying with him. We didn't want him to be alone when he passed. The four days he was in the private room were beautiful. Everyone who ever knew my father came to say goodbye, and we, the family, allowed everyone a private moment with him. We were all amazed at how vividly aware he was and how well he communicated. It truly spoke of a life well-lived and a man respected and loved by everyone. By Saturday, the third day in the private room, he was tired. His paralysis was close to total, breathing labored, 
and he had a couple of bouts with violent fits of shaking. For some reason, I had a very strong mental connection with my father that had intensified to the point of my actually speaking for him. I could hear his voice in my head. I knew what he wanted and what he felt. The connection was so strong by now that I had few feelings of my own. I had relieved my sister Saturday morning. Dad had a restless night, and I knew he would rest with me there. I kept hearing him ask me to help him go, but I wasn't sure how he wanted me to help. I knew he wanted to go, but I felt like he was scared or lost. It seemed like he couldn't go. My brother stayed with him that afternoon, and I was to relieve him that evening. I told my mother I couldn't go back that night. I I knew I had to help him. I just wasn't ready for whatever it was I was supposed to do. My mother understood how I felt. She said she had the same feelings her last visit. So she arranged for my sister and her husband to spend the night with him. Since this had all started, I hadn't slept much at all. And Saturday night, I actually slept for a few hours. I woke early Sunday morning and felt more relaxed than I had in days, but I knew I had to go and stay with Dad. I still had no idea how I could help him. When I settled in at the hospital, I couldn't look him in the eyes. I heard him asking for help, but I couldn't help, and it broke my heart to see him suffer. He wanted to go. He was ready to go, but he he couldn't, and I couldn't go for him. I've never felt a pain like that. I couldn't look at him. I I felt so self-conscious. The the atmosphere in the room was so thick and oddly calm, calm, peaceful almost, and waiting. As I sat reading in a chair at the foot of his bed, his breathing became heavy and sporadic. He was hyperventilating. I turned my head and looked him in the eyes. And actually, the third eye, where you can see both eyes at the same time, and said, I'll breathe for you, Dad. I speeded my breathing up to his rate and slowly, and then slowly, uh, slowed it back down. He was with me and I was literally breathing for him. We were in perfect sync. As he calmed down, he motioned with his eyes for me to close my eyes. I just knew that was uh, what he wanted. I said, you want me to close my eyes? He motioned yes. I turned my head back and rested it against the back of the chair and closed my eyes. I felt, rather than saw, my father in my consciousness. That's the only way to explain it. There was a figure of sorts, like a vague outline. But I, I felt my father. I knew he wanted me to take him or help him. I said verbally, I I can't go all the way, but I'll go as far as I can. We then moved through what was like a tunnel, the walls of which were like a bluish-gray smoke, gently moving clockwise. I was behind my father, following him. We, We came to an area that I can only describe as a huge wall of purple and black, uh, swirling plasma. It rose up in front of us. We stood on a dark floor. 
The tunnel was behind us, and we were blocked by this huge wall. The purple was the predominant color, and the black was more like the outline of the purple swirls. We walked along the wall, but found no way through, over, under, or around it. The feelings of this wall were confusion. The feelings of this wall were chaos. It was swirling at a steady but chaotic pace and was quite intimidating, but but not frightening, more frustrating. My father had only gotten this far. He couldn't get past this wall. That's what he wanted me to help him with. In other words, he'd been there before. And uh, I said, no wonder you can't go. This this is a mess. Then I felt this sudden conscious awareness of what was happening, and, and fear flooded me, a fear so shocking that I flew. And she puts the word flew in quotes. I flew my eyes open and sat straight up in my chair. I looked over at my father, and his eyes flew open. He looked at me as if I had hurt him more deeply than was humanly possible. I felt so ashamed and shocked and sorry deeply, so very deeply sorry. His breathing became faster and agitated. I said, it wasn't long enough. I opened my eyes too soon. I'm sorry. He softened, and I took control of the breathing again. The whole time, the breathing was the predominant sound. It was like a a gauge or a line that I used, and I used it, but but I'm not sure how. He again motioned for me to close my eyes, and we started over again. This time, when we reached the purple-black wall, there were specks of orange dotted through it. My father was looking for his mother. He was walking up and down the wall like a lost child, calling, Mama, Mama. I started looking for her, too. It made sense for her to come and help him, more sense than me doing it. I called, Grandmommy, Florence. I was quite young when she died and only remember her one time. I tried to feel her, but I I couldn't grasp it. Grandmommy Florence. It seemed like we called and looked for a long time. I started getting angry. I didn't want my father stuck here, and his body was almost dead. Why didn't she come and help him? Why didn't she come and get him? Where was she? I hollered, Grandmommy Florence, come and get him. He suffered enough. Don't make him suffer anymore. I felt so helpless that my demand was more of a plea. Then from somewhere inside me, I heard orange. I remembered reading something about orange, but I suddenly knew the only way through the purple was through the orange. I said to my father, come on, we have to follow the orange. He came with me like a lost child would go with someone they trusted to take them home. The innocence I felt from him made me feel very protective and real. I wasn't sure how to follow the orange. There were only specks here and there. So I picked a speck 
and moved toward it. And as I did, I saw more orange. So I moved toward that. And I kept doing this until I, we, were on an orange path. The path rose up out of the purple-black swirls. As we moved along the path, we came into a vast horizon of soft, warm, pastel yellow and green whips that curved all around us like a canopy. The purple-black was below and behind us, but the yellow-green whips, well, they were above and all around, like we were rising up into a huge dome. It was so vast and warm. It was safe and calm and uh, lightly peaceful. It seemed as if we were on a moving belt going toward a flat, swirling, circular door, like an inverted funnel, but it, the opening, was flat and was in the middle of this vast space where we had entered. The circular door was a soft white light mixed with light gray shadows where the light overlapped from the swirling motion. There was a figure off to the left side of this door. To me, it looked transparent, the the color of liquid coffee held up to the light. It was the shape of a tall, thin person in a long hooded robe. It seemed more transparent in what would be the chest area, and I could not see a face or any detailed features, but I know my father saw his mother. I felt his joy, his sudden childish freedom, the freedom to express the abundant love and joy that only innocent children seem to have. I was overwhelmed with a love and understanding that words cannot describe, a love of being rather than having, an understanding of everything in nothing, a warmth that cleansed the very fibers of my soul. I watched as my father moved in front of me, uh, he'd been following, uh, following me up till now and moved like a child running toward this figure. I was still going forward, but at a much slower pace. As I came closer to the door, I felt as if I was shedding all pain, all worry. I was home. At last, I was at the place I had been looking for for so long. I had no reason to go back. Nothing mattered now. I knew who I was and, more importantly, who I am and am to be. Then as my father reached the figure, a harsh, loud knock rang out. Then another and another. I heard what I thought was my father, I'm not so sure of that now, saying, Lynn, go answer the door. I said, no, no, I'm not. I'm not leaving. Again, the voice said, much sterner this time, Lynn, go answer the door. Then, for some reason, I had the feeling that I was eavesdropping on a very private moment, and I felt uncomfortable. I said, okay, but I'm coming right back. Still seeing my father, the entire scene in my head, I got up out of the chair and opened the door of the hospital room. It was as if I was above myself, looking through a tunnel at the nurse in the hall. I want to get his blood pressure. Is it okay? She asked. The hospital 
staff had been really good about not disturbing him without our okay. I looked at her and tears started streaming down my face. He's going now, I said. I'm with him. He's just found his mother. He's going now. The nurse stared at me for a moment and then she said, are you all right? Is there someone I can call? Can you handle this? Are you kidding? I said, it's beautiful. I'm with him. Of course I can handle this. And then the nurse said, I knew you were psychic. I knew you were. And then she started to tell me how her mother died and she wasn't sure of, and she wasn't there, but she knew what it, when it happened. Uh, I didn't want to be rude, but I said, I, I have to go back. I want to be with him. She squeezed my arm and said if I needed anything, she would be right outside the door. I closed the door. I went back to my chair. My father's breathing breathing was so slow and calm. I sat back and closed my eyes. I was back on the orange path, but I was further back from the door than when I left. My father and the figure were just entering the light. My father said, Bye, honey, and thank you. As they entered the light, his breathing slowed. I knew the breathing would stop. I watched them move further into the light and heard the final breath of my father's body. I just sat in the chair. I left the place we were. I was back here, and I waited for the silence. Hoping for another breath, but knowing he was gone. After a few seconds, I looked at his body. He was definitely gone. I went to the door and told the nurse. She came in and confirmed that he was dead. She called the supervising nurse, and she noted the time. The supervisor asked me if I was all right. I just looked at her and said, I went with him. I watched him. I showed him where to go. She said, do you know what a blessing that is? And I couldn't speak. I called my mother. She said she was so grateful. She tried to help him the day before and couldn't. She would have someone come and get me. When my sister picked me up at the hospital, I tried to explain what had happened, but it was very hard to find any words, much less the right ones. Later, she told me that I was glowing when she picked me up. The rest of the family had mixed reactions. They were actually angry with me. It's hard to describe how I felt. I remember telling a minister who wanted me to recount the experience that to let go of someone that deeply was the ultimate test of love. You cannot let go on that level if you are concerned with what it means to you. Only if you want what is right for that soul. That's the love of being, not of having. That uh, force that connects us, all connects all life to, to all life. I guess you could say selfless or fearless love. I know now that hell is the fear that holds us. Hell, and she puts the word in capitals, is being stuck between the physical world and the next world. We need to have felt and understood the love of being, that selfless, fearless love at some point in our existence 
to pass through that wall. That's the message of love, not the feeling most of us call love. There has to be nothing in it for us. It doesn't matter how we understood it or what we felt it for, just as long as we did. A couple of hours after I got home from the hospital, I laid down, closed my eyes, and was back at the purple-black wall. It's funny, but it wasn't so intimidating this time. I looked behind it and found that it was a curtain. I slipped behind the curtain and went up the path, and I saw my father much farther into the light. I wanted to go, but the curtain was suddenly in front of me, and I was told, not yet. I'm still trying to understand how and why I was able to go with my father. From what I have read and tried to research, this is not a very common thing, though I'm certainly not the first person to have an experience like this. There are a couple of things that I am very sure of now, and they are that we are much more than flesh, bone, and blood, that our actions and even our thoughts here mean a great deal more than we can ever imagine that love is much more and much more powerful than most of us have ever had an inkling about. I also know that my father and any other soul here or past who has known real love for any other being is okay and will be okay through eternity. I now know we can all go home. And that's where her account of this uh, shared death experience ends. Uh, what an incredible story. Um, in my work as chaplain, I've been visited by many departing souls, um, but never invited to go along from so much of the journey. I will tell you one story, though. Uh, closest I ever came personally to a near, uh, to a shared death experience was at the death of a beloved great-grandfather. I just happened to be in the room as a chaplain. I didn't know the family. I'd come in to say a prayer. And many generations of his family were there with him, uh, from um, his own children, who were grandparents, right down to the great-grandchildren, who were still young. And it was a blessing to be in the room as a chaplain when he passed, because the family obviously loved him. All of the family loved him so much, and they praised him, and they told him how much they loved him, and not to worry. They knew he was going to a better place. And as they told him over and over how much they loved him, they also said, don't worry about us, granddad. Don't worry about us, dad. We're fine. We'll be fine, and we'll see you again. They just kept reassuring him. It was beautiful, I mean, this reassurance. And when he finally died, it felt to me, and I'm not sure if the other members of the family felt this or not. I didn't ask them later. But it felt to me as if the whole room was filled with a golden light. Uh, not a light you could see with your eyes, but uh, one that just poured down like honey. A visceral light, uh, generated by God's love for the dying man. And I wasn't sure whether the light itself that I was feeling uh, was generated by the love the family had or the love the, the great-grandfather had for his family, which he was able to communicate not in his 
death, but in the moments afterwards, or whether it was a merging of he and uh, God in uh, in the light, whatever it was, it was it was amazing. And I, as I say, I don't know if the others felt it, but I certainly felt blessed to have been included in that event. Well, thank you for being a part of NDE Radio. If you would like to tell uh, our audience about some mystical experience that you've encountered, please send me an email with a brief description and your phone number, and I'll give you a call. And you can send that to leewitting at gmail.com. And if you'd like to listen to this or any other of our uh, NDE Radio shows, just go to nderadio.org and hit the Past Shows button. I think this is our 224th show, so you've got lots to listen to there. And for more information about near-death experience and related events, check out the International Association for Near-Death Studies website at iands.org. And be with us again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.